Hello, hello. Can I hear one more amen for this praise team, please? Thank you, thank you so much for connecting us to the praise of heaven. I am honored and humbled to be speaking to you all today. If I'm being honest, I'm a little surprised as well. I uh, never expected in my wildest dreams to be speaking at the seminary chapel, considering I have no pastoral experience, no preaching experience. But thank God we serve a God who qualifies the unqualified, yes? Join me in prayer, please. Heavenly Father, God of the universe, Father, we prostrate ourselves in this time. We take a pause from our busy days to acknowledge you as the author and finisher of our faith. Father, we seek community with you. We seek intimacy with you. Be with us now. Father, I submit myself to you. Give me a clear mind to convey the message you've given me today. I say all this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Allow me to quickly describe to you guys a scenario, and you guys let me know if any of it is relatable to you guys. Sounds good? Yeah. I'm thinking that's a yes. Excellent. <laughs> it's the morning, your alarm goes off, and you hit the snooze button once, twice, if you're like me, three, four times. Finally, you get up, you're, you're groggy, you're underslept, but at this point, you're so used to being underslept that the idea of waking up with energy, excited for the day, seems alien. There's not too much time left before your appointment or class, so you rush to your devotionals and you begin to dive in, trying to find that word for the day, 15, 20, 30 minutes if you're real good, but it's difficult. Your mind is still waking up to the idea that it's sadly awake. You look outside with hope and anticipation, but to no avail, your car is once again buried in snow. <laughs> you know you got to go out there, so you put on your coat over your pajamas and you slide into whatever shoes you have most available to you, even though they're definitely inadequate for the snow. You rush out, dig your car out, put the key into the car, get the car started, run back inside. You have exactly 15 minutes before the car is ready to go. So now you have to get ready, right? You wash your face, you put your clothes on, you eat, you might not eat. You rush to class, you arrive, the, the uh, lecture has just started. As you settle in, you open your laptop and all the group chats that you're a part of, all ministry-based, of course, pop up with different issues you have, to, you have to tend to. And so you find yourself multitasking between listening to New Testament textual criticism and trying to put out these fires in the meantime. Again, the hurry has begun. You get to lunch, and it's a lunch meeting. I don't know who invented lunch meetings. Terrible invention. How can you, the sanctity of eating with someone and doing work? My goodness. It's the American way, I guess, right? Efficiency. After the lunch meeting, you have more classes, more Zoom sessions, more phone calls, more divine appointments, all fulfilling, but it's straining at the same time, for being honest. You get home, the sun is setting, you're exhausted, depleted, emotionally, physically drained. And now it's time to write those papers, study for that quiz, make dinner. And if you have a family, my goodness, God be with you. To all y'all have families, I don't know how y'all do it, but blessings upon you. Does that relate to some of y'all? Oh, good, I hope it's not just me. <laughs> This constant pace of going back and forth, this hurried state of always trying to play catch-up, it's exhausting, is it not? 
I have titled this sermon, Strength in the Stillness, and it's a very practical message, I hope. Today we'll be diving in to uh, Isaiah chapter 30, verses 15, 16, and 18. Isaiah chapter 30, verses 15, 16, and 18. As you guys look up the verse, I'll go ahead and break down the context of this chapter. You see, in this story, we as readers are inserted into very troublesome times for the city of Jerusalem. You see, the Assyrians, known for their animalistic cruelty towards their enemies, have set their sights on Jerusalem as their next victims. According to human standards, Jerusalem has no chance. You see, they are no match for the Assyrians in open combat, and they won't last long under siege. Times are indeed bleak. Naturally, many of those in Jerusalem quickly and, 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 and impulsively rush to find help from somewhere, and not just somewhere, but from Egypt. And those of us who know the theme between Israel and Egypt and that constant pattern of going back to Egypt, there's levels to that. And in this chapter, we experience God through Isaiah emphatically rebuking the children of Israel for depending on human resources, quickly running for help, rather than sitting still and trusting in his protection. But our God is gracious. And we experience this grace, a little tidbit of this grace, in verses 15 and 16, and where, after the strong rebuke, he gives his people, he gives us, what I like to call a secret recipe for experiencing him in ways that allow us to build a level of trust in him. And it's simpler than you think. It reads, For thus says the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, In returning and rest you shall be saved. In quietness and confidence shall be your strength. But you would not, and you said, No, for we will flee on horses, therefore you shall flee. And we will ride on swift horses, Therefore, those who pursue you shall be swift. You see, Isaiah, as we know, is a master with a pen, a Da Vinci, a Mozart, a Shakespeare of prophetic writers. There are levels to his writings. There's an artistic flair to it. And because of this, I am hard-pressed to believe that this comparative language used to present God's ideal reaction for his people versus their actual reaction is not intentional. It's not unintentional. Whereas God, in a time of trouble, calls his people to rest, quietness, and stillness in him, they react with swift judgment and neglect the unseen reality of God's powerful protection. You see, there is a comparison of speed here between verse 15 and 16. Whereas God's resolution beckons the heart to slow down in order to wake up to his unseen reality, man's resolution is to hurry up, fix the problem himself with the speed of swift horses. And what's crazy is we can't blame them. Something about impending doom does, uh, makes us want to quickly react and prepare for what's ahead. Nothing about emergency, emergency, emergency conveys, hey, be still. Slow down. And yet, this is the key given to us 
by God to overcome. There is a story of a British explorer during the height of colonialism in Africa. The story goes that this explorer landed in Africa, excited to, to um, travel through the jungle and find glory and fame for himself. So he quickly hires these porters, these tribesmen, to guide him through the jungle as well as carry his things. After a long, arduous journey through the jungle, a very short night's sleep, the explorer wakes up ready to conquer the day, but his porters refuse to move. Curious and a bit baffled, he asks them why they did not move, and they don't say anything at first. He then goes on to bribe them. Surely money will get them moving. Money gets everyone moving. But money would not have them move an inch. Finally, after questioning them and questioning them, they finally give him an answer. And their answer is simple and yet so profound. They tell him that they must wait for their souls to catch up to their bodies. They must wait for their souls to catch up to their bodies. You see, to the Western mind, that seems a bit odd. But what these, tribe, what these tribesmen were, were showing was an understanding in knowing what they needed. They understood that the hurried state of being from the day before had, set them in, had created an imbalance within them. And in order to find peace and rebalance, they required stillness, at least for a moment. Family, we as a society have grown out of balance. And we who have accepted this call to enter into the servitude of the Most High are no different. We acknowledge and accept that there are standards to uphold in accepting this call. We understand that we are entrusted with the highest responsibility of not only teaching on the image and character of God, but internalizing it and exemplifying it by our own lives. This is nothing new to us. Yet for whatever reason, we keep tending to conform to the hurried pace of this society. There is a disconnect between serving God and aligning ourselves to his rhythms. My message today is that we cannot reach our full potential as servants, as influencers of this society, if we cannot align ourselves to the rhythms of our God. And scripture makes it very, very clear over and over again with different writers and voices that God is found in a life of stillness. Let it be clear, I'm not talking negatively about being busy. Being busy is needed, especially for leaders, and especially, especially for kingdom builders. We're busy. What I'm talking about or what I'm talking against is being so busy, too busy, where the only remedy is hurry. I'm speaking on the disposition of our minds and hearts. The constant internal deliberation or anxiety of what is to come, the constant mental back and forth between various possibilities. Not only are we buzzing around burying, but we're buzzing, there's bees flying in our heads constantly, constantly of all the possibilities and all the ways God can take us and do with our lives. And we wonder why we can hear that still, soft voice. Brothers and sisters, we must wake up. And in order to wake up, we must slow down. Because love and hurry 
do not coexist. Let me say that one more time. Love and hurry cannot coexist. With hurry, there is no Good Samaritan story. With hurry, there is no Jesus and healing people. With hurry, we have no Bible. How many of us, in the busyness of doing ministry, we forget to slow down to love? So my degree before coming to seminary was actually in psychology. And uh, during my undergrad studies, I grew very fond of a very eccentric psychologist by the name of Carl Jung. I'm sure many of you have heard of him and read his writings. He had a very uh, powerful quote on hurry. He used to say that hurry is not of the devil. Hurry is the devil. We love to sing about walking with Jesus. We tend to sprint through our days. But Zach, I'm taking a full load this semester. I work 30 plus hours a week. I'm helping with these two different church plants. I have a family. How do you expect for me to slow down? Family, you're right. Everything about society is working against this way of life. But so it is when it comes to being a Christian. The key to this, I believe, is this magical word called discipline. We all love this word. Discipline, to mentally and prayerfully slow down in the last hours before bed in order to achieve a restful sleep, I said a restful sleep, and wake up with the mental capacity to be intentional about your internal speed of life. For as we know from creation, the next day does not start in the morning. It begins the night before. Discipline, to say no to some ministries. I don't know if I can say that here. <laughs> discipline to know, discipline discernment to acknowledge our limitations no matter how talented or charismatic we may be. Because we are moving out of rhythm from the Spirit, we are moving in emptiness. And as we know, that leads to burnout. But we don't know what burnout is in Adventism, do we? Discipline to exercise physical slowness in order for it to seep into our internal realities. What do you mean by that, Zach? What was the last time you guys drove five miles per hour slower than the speed limit on the highway? If you're like me, that causes anxiety. That causes me to be very uncomfortable, but also speaks to the the disposition of our souls. When was the last time you went on a walk? Not just a walk, but a slow walk. Very slow walk. It's been a while, yeah? A story on this. So I grew up in a beach town in California called Santa Cruz, California. Um, I mean, you guys have seen some of the hoodies that come from there. I don't know. Um, in this town, to give you an idea of the culture here, just imagine if all the hippies from the 60s grew up, moved to Santa Cruz, had kids, and then their kids had kids. That gives you an idea of the culture there. It's very chill. Real into the surfer vibes, uh, very eccentric, and they pride themselves in being weird. For those of you guys who know me last year with the long hair, now there's a little context to it, you now you know that's where I got it from, right? There's this one man in the city who takes his weirdness to the next level. He was known as the Pink Lady. 
And he was the kind of guy that would make most conservatives a little uncomfortable, because you see, this man wore, surprise, surprise, all pink attire, but he would wear, he would combine masculine and feminine attire, like a top hat, he had an umbrella, he would put makeup on, uh, glitter, he would have a Cinderella tutu dress, and weird, just, just think of it, just a, a weird co a combination of clothing, all pink, all very bright. But what made him stand out the most was not what he wore, but what he did. For you see, what he would do randomly throughout the week with his umbrella and a blissful smile on his face, he would walk around downtown Santa Cruz at the pace of a snail. Not figuratively, literally at the pace of a snail. And it was odd to see as a kid, I would just assume he was just another what I call Santa Cruz freak and didn't pay much attention to him. I would, I would wonder who would waste so much time walking around doing nothing. As an adult, I look back now and I see that this man, I believe, had connected himself to the rhythms of his creator, whether he acknowledged it or not. This man was closer to God on those days than I am on most days. In a society where efficiency is praised and depth overlooked, the beauty of slow has been condemned. Our society has grown to become pathologically hurried. We have cherished our technological advances that have allowed us for us to be faster and more efficient but in the process, we have murdered the beauty and depth of being slow and still. But praise be to God, whose love knows no bounds. He is consistent with his manifestations of his character. The question is, are we living slow enough to experience him? He can be seen under the glory of a starry night. He can be experienced through the chill winds of winter. He can be heard in the silence of a snow-laden field. It is there that he waits for us. It is there that we may find our rest and strength in his presence. As it is written in verse 18 of our chapter, Therefore the Lord will wait, that he may be gracious to you, and therefore he will be exalted, that he may have mercy on you. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all those who wait for him. The world is entering very frightening and yet exciting times. As the world continues to speed up and project this message of emergency, 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 May we not impulsively quicken to man-made solutions or whatever our version of running to Egypt may be. But take the time to stop. Slow down our breathing, our thinking, and our worrying, and return to rest in his presence in the stillness. So, servants and warriors of the Most High God, 
Will you accept the discipline of living slowly in order that we may be active participants in his transformation of our minds? Did you catch that? It is in living slowly, being still, that we become active participants in his transformation of our minds. This is a process of a lifetime. But it's okay, because guess what? It's a slow process. And that's okay, because that's how God works. I'd like to leave us with the invitation from Matthew eleven twenty-eight that we all know very well. And I'll read it from the message version, because I think it's really powerful. It reads, Are you tired? Worn out? Burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Family, may we take the time to rest our souls in his presence and achieve living lightly and freely. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, God of mercy and grace, we worship you and we thank you for how consistent you are in our lives. Sometimes the carving you do in our souls and minds are so slow we don't even notice. But Father, we thank you because it's consistent. It never stops. Father, we seek to be your servants. We seek to be molded by you. Continue this process. Finish the work you have started. And Father, we'll do our best and we'll meet you where we can. Father, we love you and we praise you. In the name of Jesus, amen.